John chapter 21 this evening. You know, as I studied this passage of Scripture, I have a lot of things I want to say about it and from it. I just don't know how. And, uh, you know, we, we, uh, I, I do preach from notes typically, and, uh, and I've got notes tonight. But, uh, you know, when you've got notes, most of the time you've got a structure, you've got an outline, and I've, I've got all that tonight. But, uh, you know, sometimes you look at a passage and, and you struggle to structure it. You struggle to, to say it just how you feel it needs to be said. And, uh, you know, I, I always want to lean on the Holy Ghost to give me the words to say. That may seem foolish to some, but I promise you it's not foolish. He works in this body. He's interested in this body of believers right here. If you're saved, then you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, if that sounds odd to you, I believe I might examine myself and ask myself whether I'm, you know, I've been born again, whether I am in the faith. Because every believer ought to know, they may not know everything about it, they may not understand everything about what it means to be indwelt by the Holy Ghost, but everybody, I mean, listen, if somebody moved into your house, you'd sure know about it. And, uh, you know, the, certainly when the Holy Ghost took up residence in our hearts and in our lives, we ought to know something about it. And so, it's not a strange thing to say that. He has an interest in you tonight. And he has an interest in this body. He has an interest in this service tonight. So it's not a strange thing to say that. And I, I always want to lean on the Holy Ghost. But I, I think probably tonight I'm going to lean just a little harder on him than I normally do. Because I, I want to say these things exactly how they need to be said. I don't just want to, you know, some preachers, they preach like they're testing out spaghetti. They just throw it and see what sticks. And there's great temptation to do that when you don't necessarily know exactly everything you want to say and how to say it. But I'm going to trust the Lord tonight, and I'd like for you to pray for me that the Lord would get glory out of this service tonight and that He would say to you and say to me just exactly what needs to be said in just exactly the way it needs to be said. John chapter 21, I'd like to read just three verses tonight, beginning in verse number 15, and then we'll pray. The Word of God says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved, because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Father, pray that you'd bless your word tonight. God, I stand incapable. Lord, I've asked, I've made it plain to these that are right here in front of us. That I, that I am insufficient tonight. So Lord, I believe that if you'd help me this evening, I believe you'd get the glory out of it. But I don't believe anybody would look at me if anything's accomplished and lay it at my feet. I believe they'd lay it at your feet tonight. Father, I believe that if you'll move into this place and speak to hearts, I believe there's a real good chance your people would give you glory this evening. Lord, I love you. And I don't love you like I ought to love you. But you know that I do love you. And I pray that you would teach me how 
and, and in what ways I can love you more. Father, I do love you, and I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Very unusual instance in the life of Peter. John chapter 21 is really all about the Lord and Peter. There are six other men present here. Um, Thomas is there. James and John are there. And, uh, of course, uh, Peter is there. And uh, the, then Philip is there. And we believe that... Pro- or Andrew is there, excuse me. We believe probably Philip and Nathaniel were there as well. We do not know that. There's just two other disciples. The Bible says just two others. The Scripture is silent on who they are. But really, when you get down to it and read this chapter, it's really all about the Lord and Peter. The Lord had told Peter, after he had risen from the dead, He said, Go tell my disciples and Peter to go before me and to to meet me in Galilee. And this is the appointment that had been set. The Lord is keeping that appointment. And it was particularly attuned to the troubles and heartaches and worries and doubts that Peter had been experiencing. And he basically teaches Peter three lessons that he is going to need. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that there, we can't say everything about this chapter that there is to be said or that we'd even want to say. There are a lot of beautiful truths found here as it relates to our position in this day of grace and the way that the Lord deals with us and ministers to us and, and uses us to minister in the lives of others. But I want us to simply look at these three lessons that God teaches Peter Uh, after he has risen from the dead. Last week we looked at the first lesson. It was a lesson on leaving. Peter decides he's going to walk away from what God has done in his life. I don't believe Peter was in danger of losing his salvation because I don't believe any man has ever been in danger of losing their salvation. But I do believe that he was in danger of walking away from the ministry and walking away from the work of God. And you know, it's easy to look at that and, and to make that irrelevant to us because we may not be in full-time ministry. Now, I am in full-time ministry. I praise the Lord for that. It's one of the greatest blessings in my life. But just because you're not, that doesn't mean that you couldn't walk away from what God is doing in your life. You most certainly could. He'd walk after you. He loves you. He'd make sure that you knew what you were doing. He'd deal with you. But I, I meet people all the time. I, listen, I could, I could tell you folks right now hanging by a thread. That's the truth. I can tell you folks right now, hanging by a thread, and if God doesn't do something in their life, come a week, two weeks, three weeks, they're going to be gone. That's the truth. I'm telling you as a pastor. I know, I know people enough, and I, and I know our people enough to know that that's true. And there have been other people that we could name, that we could mention, who have walked away. And listen, just because they've walked away from here, that don't mean they've walked away from God. But I've sure seen a lot of them that when they walked away from God, they did walk away from here. And there's a great danger of that. If we're not careful, the devil will get us out. That's what he's interested in. I've never met anyone that walked away and was the better for it, you know. And so he teaches him a lesson on leaving. Next week, if the Lord will allow us to, and if he tarries this coming, we'll we'll look at a lesson on living and what it means to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. But this week, I want us to take a few moments and examine this lesson that God teaches Peter on loving and what love truly is. Let me tell you something. We really get down to the fundamentals of what Bible Christianity is in these three verses. I wonder if we were to answer this question tonight, if we were to really think about it and allow ourselves to be placed on God's examination table. If God was to ask us this question, I wonder what our answer would be. He did not ask Peter, will you serve me? 
He did not ask Peter, have you served me? He did not even ask Peter, will you obey me? He did not ask Peter if he would tell folks about him. But he asked him one simple question. He said, Peter, do you love me? Now stop and think about that. Ask yourself that question. Do I love God? Do I love His Son, Jesus Christ? Not whether you go to church. You're here tonight, so you go to church. <laughs> not Listen, not whether you read the Bible, not whether you pray. Do you love Him? Does He mean something to you? Do you go day by day and long to be in His presence because you love Him and care for Him? Does His opinion matter to you? You know, we live in a day where everybody's Rights and opinions are on parade except God's. Even in churches, we spend all of our time trying to figure out what everybody in the pew wants instead of just asking what God wants in this place. Do you love Him? I mean, can you honestly answer that and say, yes, I love the Lord. And if you could, can it be seen in your life? Could people look at your life and say, there's a person that loves God. I can tell it by the way they talk and act and the way they spend their time and and because of their spirit and their attitude. They love God and that's apparent to me. Or would they probably say, like it's true for so many of us, you know, I really don't know. Most of us, our neighbors would not say, no, that, that person doesn't love God. They hate God or they don't care anything about God. But I think a lot of us, our loved ones, our neighbors, and the folks around us might come up with a big old question mark when asked that question. Peter has made some mistakes. He's done some things wrong. I'm glad that a person can make mistakes and still love God. Because if if the measure of whether we loved God was that we had a flawless record, then I'm going to tell you, that would mean I didn't love God. Because I don't have a flawless record. I've made mistakes and I've done things wrong. I perpetually fail. The reason that Paul said that he died daily is because the flesh tried to rear up daily. I'm glad you can love God and still make mistakes. Peter's good evidence of that. And I want you to notice three basic components that make up these questions. Three times the Lord asks them. And we'll look at each of these components in three successive times. I want you to notice first off the question that was asked. And notice the recipient. Now, we already noted last week that in each of these three lessons that the Lord teaches in John 21, that Jesus does something or says something to bring Peter's mind back to his denial of Christ. Whenever he walks up to the uh, seashore, he sees Jesus sitting, and uh, Jesus has a, a fire of coals, John calls it. There's only one other time that word is found in in the Word of God, and John uses it back in chapter 18 when he's talking about the fire that that Peter had sat and warmed his hands around and had denied the Lord around. Certainly, you know, and the Lord didn't have to say anything about it. Peter no doubt knew. When he saw that fire, no doubt he thought about the last time he sat around a fire. The last time he was sitting around it, he was denying the Lord. Let me tell you how good God is. The next time he's sitting around it, he's dining with the Lord. You know, the Lord is not interested in throwing us away. That's not what He's about. That's not what He's interested in. It's funny because we know that God loves us, but sometimes we treat it like He doesn't. And the fact of the matter is, if God was in the business of throwing us away, He would have thrown us away a long time ago. God's in the business of restoration. God's in the business of forgiveness. God's in in, in the business of, of putting us back where we belong. And that was what He wanted to show Peter. 
Fire undoubtedly speaks judgment in the Word of God. And I'm sure Peter thought there was a judgment coming. And yet when he sits down with the Lord, the Lord doesn't say anything about what he's done. Merely reaches out says, Peter, I have a fish here for you. And let's eat some supper. You know, we, we need to confess our sins. And, and Christ is about to bring him to that place. But sometimes if we just try to get back in and have a little fellowship with him, we'd find that go a long way. You know what keeps a lot of us far away from God? When we sin and mess up, we do like Adam and we run and hide. We run and hide. We, run, we hide from the church. We hide from the Word of God. We hide from the prayer closet. And all that does is prolong the time that we stay out of the will of God. What if Peter had said, I don't want to sit down by that fire. You're going to fuss at me. No, he didn't. He trusted him. So he went and he sits around the fire. Certainly, as we come to the end of the chapter, and we'll talk about it next week, uh, Jesus begins to talk about a cross. The last time they were sitting around talking about the cross, Peter said he'd die with them. And the Lord has a lesson to teach about that. But as this particular narrative opens, it opens in an unusual way because the Lord does something He does not often do. It says in verse 15 that Jesus saith to Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And He used the name Simon. Now this is interesting because Simon was Peter's given name. Simon was the name that he was given at birth. And there came a period in Simon's life when the Lord changed his name to Peter. You remember after that grand revelation, he said that, you know, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he named him, he said, thou art no more Simon, but thou shalt be called Peter. And we know that passage, many of us do, no doubt. And the Lord had done something in his life. But now, you see, Peter wasn't acting like Peter. He was acting like Simon. And the Lord addresses him as such. In other words, since he's acting like he's never had God work in his life, the Lord's starting to treat him like he had never had God work in his life. Some of you remember when you was growing up, your parents said something like this. They'd say, act like you are somebody. You ever have a parent say it? Or have you ever heard somebody, maybe your parents said something like this, say, you act like you don't have any raising. <laughs> That's sort of what the Lord is doing to Peter. He's saying, Simon, don't you remember when I worked in your life? Simon, what have the last three and a half years been all about, Simon? You're acting like the fisherman that I met on the Sea of Galilee that day. But it's interesting for another reason. It's interesting not only because the first time that he called him something other than Simon, but it's interesting because the last time that he did call him Simon. He says this in Luke chapter 22. And by the way, this is the night before the Lord is crucified. In fact, this is the very night that the Lord said, Though all offend, though all forsake you, Lord, I will never forsake you. I'll go with you and I'll die with you. And on that night, the Lord had said this. He said, Simon, Simon, one of the unusual and unique double calls in Scripture. He said, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. There's a lot of debate about what that term converted means there. I think you could make a lot of applications. But here's what I think the Lord was saying. He was saying this, Peter, right now, you think you're untouchable. But one of these days you're going to see when Satan takes you and sifts you as wheat, you're going to see that you're not. And it's interesting that the Lord did not pray that Satan wouldn't sift him. And he did not even pray that he would withstand the sifting. But he prayed that when that time came, his faith would not fail. 
And he prayed for him that when he went through this experience, his faith would take it and turn it to something for the glory of God, and that he would change, that he would learn something by this and change as an individual, and there'd be a conversion take place that this haughty, prideful fisherman, who though everyone else forsook him, he would never forsake him, that once he has been humbled by his own failures, he'd be able to turn and look at others and say, you know, you better be careful what you say. The Lord was reminding Simon that he had reminded Simon that there was trials and troubles that was coming up. He was bringing gently to his mind who it was that failed. See, it wasn't Peter that the Lord had worked in his life that sat around that fire. It was Simon that had sat around that fire. And the reason that Peter is sitting here is because he yielded to the flesh and allowed the flesh to take control. We see the recipient of this question. I want you to note the reason for this question. This is interesting to me, and well, we'll touch on it in a minute, but uh, one of the things that, that people have always asked is, why did he ask him this question? I'd say there's two reasons that are worth us noting as to why the Lord would ask him if he loved him, and why the Lord would ask us that. Because I don't know about you, there's been times God has asked me that. Now, not by audible voice. But he, through the work of the Holy Spirit and through that gentle speaking in the inward man, has plagued and has pressed my heart upon this question and has asked me if I've loved him. Why would he ask Peter such a thing? You know what Peter would have done if he'd been like most Baptists? He would have said, well, how dare you ask me such a thing? It's funny how people get, you know. We get so comfortable in our church religion. That, uh, that sometimes we don't even act like, like, like sane human beings anymore. Right? Right? Uh, that, that's why folks get up on Sunday morning or Sunday night or whatever it may be and the preacher be preaching on something that's right where they're at. And they'll say, Amen, 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 but then they won't change. Now, that's illogical, right? But, you know, sometimes that's how we get. Sometimes we get to playing this game so much that that we forget that there's a reality. We get to playing this game so much that we forget one day the buzzer's going to sound and a score is going to be tallied. We're going to have to give an account for how we've lived. So he asks this question to Peter. I think there's two reasons. One, because of Peter's failure. Peter hadn't really been acting like he loved the Lord. In fact, the last real altercation that he had had before the cross was that he had sat around and he had cursed vehemently the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know... The truth is, if I really get to looking at my life, I have to admit that God has every right to ask me if I love Him. Because there's so many times that I fail Him, and there's so many times, that man, that I know I'm doing wrong, and I, and I do wrong anyway. Now, you may not be like that. You may be old Flip Wilson. The devil may make you do everything, but sometimes it's just plain old Toby that sins and does wrong. There's times that I know I'm doing wrong, and I, I, I do it anyway. And, you know, you'd think if I really loved God, I wouldn't do that. So I believe it, it's a welcome and an appropriate question for the Lord to ask us that sometimes. Sometimes, you know, we don't want to answer that to others because we don't want to answer it to ourselves. We don't want to really get down to it and look at and ask, ask ourselves what our lives say about our love of God. He asked him that because of his failures. I note that he asked him that because of the fickleness of the human heart. I think that's a worthwhile question to ask because the human heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, and who can know it? I think it's worth asking that because sometimes our feelings about something change. 
that's part of the reason. You know, I, I believe I believe a lot of things about the importance of marriage, but I think part of, of the importance of marriage standing in an altar before God, before the man of God, before witnesses, is because, let me tell you something, your heart sometimes does funny things, and you need something more to anchor you than, than just that fuzzy, warm feeling that you had when you was dating. You need commitment, right? You need commitment. And listen, I understand some folks' stuff's happened. Things have fell apart. Things didn't turn out like you planned. I'm not fussing at you. And I'm not talking down to you. I'm just merely saying that, that if all you're trusting is the feeling, well, you're not going to go very far. Because the human heart is a changing thing. The human heart, man, it can love you one second. It can hate you the next. It can feel in it one second and out of it the next. And that's no different with our relationship with God. And I'm going to tell you something. There's times I find it easy to love God. But there's times, and it's no fault of His own. It's, it's my fault. It's my flesh. That Sometimes I find it tough to love God. Usually I find it tough to love God when I find it easy to love myself. And usually the harder I find it to love myself, the easier I find it to love God. I believe this question is worth asking because we don't always love Him like we ought to and we don't always love Him like we used to. You remember the church at Ephesus, they had what? They had left the first love. You can interpret it a thousand different ways, and I've heard it interpreted a thousand different ways. But at the end of the day, God is love, John said. God is love. And somewhere in the midst of it, and I don't know what they were thinking, and I don't know how they went about it, but somewhere in the midst of it, their love of God had, had waned and diminished. And they were a good church. They were one of the better churches. But he said, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You know, sometimes we do that. <laughs> sometimes we, we love God less today than, than we used to love Him. And some of you can remember a time when, when it didn't take much, man. And I, listen, I'm not talking about service. We could talk about service. Certainly if we love Him, we'll serve Him. But I'm just talking about there was a time that it didn't take much for God to get your attention. There was a time it didn't take much for God to get a hold of you. But somewhere in the midst of it, something changed and something shifted. I'd say the reason is pretty plain, but I want you to notice the repetition of it. Three different times he asked him this question, Do you love me? Do you love me? It began to grieve Peter. But you know, I bet it didn't grieve Peter any more than it grieved the Lord that night that Peter had denied him three times. You know, we look at that and we ask ourselves how... We might say within ourselves, Boy, that's cruel of the Lord to put Peter through that. It's not cruel. It's, it's an exercise in grace. Grace, uh, listen, grace availeth through righteousness. And the fact is, he had denied him three times, so he needed to confess him three times. You know, sometimes in our life, as God puts us through opportunities to live for Him and through trials, we look at it and we say to ourselves, well, you know, that's not fair. How come God made me go through this? Or how come God put me through this but didn't put that person through this? Or whatever it might be that we're experiencing. But the reality of it is God's just giving us more opportunities to express that we love Him, that we care for Him. And He doesn't need it for Him because He knows all things. He needs it for us. He wants us to ask ourselves that question. He wants us to grow. He wants us to determine that. He wants us to nail it down. We see the repetition here in this question. I want you to notice the confession. Three times Peter says something. There's a little bit of, uh, of, of uh, interest in what he says here. Because the question that the Lord asks him is not the same all three times. In fact, the first time the Lord asks him this. He says, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than thee? There's been a lot of commentators have different opinions about what that means. Some people say when he says, 
these. He's talking about the fish. I think an application could be made there. That's, that's certainly there could be some truth there. Some people say that he's saying more than the fishing equipment or more than the life of fishing or, or whatever it might be. But I, I think if we're really examining Scripture, we don't have to go far to understand why the Lord asked him this and what the these are that he is referring to. Listen to what it says in Mark 14. This is the account of the night before the Lord died. And Jesus saith unto them, in verse 27, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. You can lay beside them the, the four gospel accounts of Peter's uh, of Peter's sort of protestation there at that passage of, of Scripture. And he says, uh, and, and if you read all of them, you get an idea how the conversation went because they all give little details. And that's uh, in Luke's account. He, he says that, that, that though all should be offended, yet will not I. He said, I'll go with you and I'll die with you. And Peter had vehemently said, even at the expense of those around him, said, all these jokers, they may turn against you. But good old Peter, he never will. And so the first thing the Lord asks him is he asks him what his opinion is of that statement now. Simon, do you love me more than these? We might say this, do we love him as much as we say we love him? Now really think about that for a moment. Do we love him as much as we say that we love him? Now, I think it's a good thing when we lift our hands, when we praise God, when we talk about his goodness and his grace. I wonder if there's any substance and truth to it, or if it's just empty words. See, the problem was, what the Lord was saying is, Peter, at one time you said you loved me this much. What do you think now? What do you say now about this? Let me tell you, there's a great lesson to learn here. Here's why. Because when Peter said, though all offend you, yet will not I, that was in the context in which the Lord said, Peter, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. Let me tell you, it would pay us to listen to what God is telling us about us. To hear very clearly, if the Lord says, you think that's true, but that's not true. You say you love me. And sometimes the Lord will point things to our life and He'll say, if you love me, why is this here? If you love me, why is that here? If you love me, why is this not here? If you love me, why is this not here? And the Lord may be dealing with us just as He dealt with Peter to say, you say that you love me. You tell folks you love me. And you may even believe that you love me. But I know all things and I know what you're capable of. I wonder if we love Him as much as we say that we love Him. I wonder if I love Him as much as I say that I love Him. As a pastor, we spend a lot of time as preachers talking about how much we love Him. And sometimes it's easy just to talk. Just to talk. Just to say it. Because that's what people do. They say it. You don't go in church and say, you know, I really don't love the Lord. Nobody does that. And you come in the house of God, you hear people all the time, boy, I love the Lord. Boy, isn't the Lord good to me. But I wonder if I really believe that. Now, I I, I believe I know my heart in that matter. I know the Lord knows my heart. So I'm not asking it in the literal sense, but but I'm using myself in a rhetorical way. I wonder if we would all ask ourselves that question. What do we really feel that about that? What do we really believe about? Do we really love Him? We may say we love Him more than anyone else. And yet, when the Lord presses Him on this, I want you to notice the absence in His confession. Notice what's missing. Look how He answers He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Now all of a sudden, Peter doesn't say, I love you more than these. 
Because he acknowledges. He's, listen, and he's not trying to elevate the love of the other disciples. He's trying to abase his opinion of his own love of Christ. There's a very interesting exchange that is taking place in this passage. Because on the one hand, Peter is loath to say and, and, and to confess his great and vast love for God in light of what he's done. But on the other hand, he wants God to know and he wants Christ to know that he does love him. And you know where it finally winds up? It finally winds up with him saying, Thou knowest. Thou knowest. On the one hand, he doesn't want to say he loves them more than the others. He may have still felt that way. I don't know. But he doesn't want to say that because he doesn't want to say something that's not true. But notice not only the absence, notice the persistence. Three times he asks him this question. And all three times, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Thou knowest that I love thee. In verse 17. He doesn't want the Lord to believe he doesn't love him. But he's afraid to say that he loves him more than the other ones. You say, what are you getting at, preacher? What, what is the point of all this? Well, notice the repentance that takes place. What does he finally have to confess? In verse number 17, he said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest all things. It says that he was grieved at this. I, I believe the grief that he experiences here is different than the grief he experienced when he went out and wept bitterly over his sin. I believe that before he was broken over his sin and what it had done to him, I think now he's broken over his sin and what it had done to Jesus. And he's grieved to see the result and the implications of his sin. And we don't like to talk about that. I understand that. Nobody likes to talk about it. And, you know, I, the, as a pastor, I, Lord, help me say this exactly how it needs to be said. You know, as a pastor, you sort of... You sort of uh, you look at what people's actions tell you. And it's easy sometimes to get in, in one ditch or the other. Sometimes, you know, I, I've never met anybody. And, and, and I'm saying this to a Sunday night crowd. You're here. You're at, at the house of God, you know. So I'm not fussing. But I, I've never met anyone, for the most part, that didn't have an excuse for not being in the church. Right? never met anyone. There's always some kind of excuse. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, as a pastor, you can either spend all your time tore up over people's lame excuses for laying out of church, or you can just go on and keep your eyes on Jesus and, and work in the hearts and lives of, of those that you can. But by the same token, sometimes I, I, I fear that there is a tendency to be permissive in people's actions. You know that our actions, they mean things and they tell things to others and to God. They imply things. You see, Peter is reaping the fruit of his denial of the Lord Jesus. He can't say, Lord, it's unfair for you to ask me this. He can't say, Lord, you have no right to question my love. He knows why Jesus is questioning his love. He's looked at his sin, but it grieves him to think that his sin could have sent that message to God. But the fact is, our sin sends that message to God too. Now, we may not mean for that. That may not be our intention. But at some point, you know, our Christian walk has to move out of the theoretical. It has to move into the practical. And at some point, our intentions just don't matter. Our actions are what matters. I understand if we have bad intentions and we do a good thing, I understand that matters. What I'm saying is this. Good intentions. You know, have you ever, you've heard the, the, the statement before, the road to hell is paved with good intentions? You ever heard that? 
You know what the full quote of that is? I don't know if you know this interesting history. Uh, but th- this was during the time when infant baptism was, was still a debate. Uh, it's not now just because, I mean, the, you know, there's a group that does and then everybody else doesn't because they know it's nonsense. It's not scriptural. But there was a man, and he made this statement. He said, The road to hell is paved with good intentions and the unbaptized skulls of infant children. That's what he said. There's a reason we don't quote all of it. Amen? But what he was saying is this, and he was wrong in believing that infant baptism could save the soul. It cannot absolve original sin because no baptism can absolve any sin. But the thing that he was trying to convey is this. It don't matter if you mean well. What's the result of it? I understand there's a delicate balance there. I understand God does look on the heart. I'm purely aware of that. But I'm aware, too, that though God does look on the heart, He also sees the outside. The Bible never says that He doesn't see the outside. The Bible just says He also sees the inside. And I just wonder what our life says about our love for Jesus Christ. Peter's grieved because he's having to acknowledge what his sin has meant. And so he finally must simply say, Lord, you know. And within that simple statement, there is a a, a truth of such profundity that we almost cannot even express it. God really does know if we love Him and how much we love Him. The person that may not know is others or us, but God does know. Now, if we're just playing games, that won't mean anything to us. But if we're really serious, that's going to shake us. Because that means it doesn't matter if we can get other folks to to permit and excuse our sin. It doesn't matter if our sin is is what is in keeping with the level of sin that is acceptable in Baptist churches. It doesn't matter if we're better than most people in society. None of those things matter at that point. At that point, the only thing that matters is that do we love God and God knows whether we do or not. God knows that. We see the confession. Finally, I want you to notice the commission. And he teaches him very quickly some important things about love. Now, Peter's already give up on really trying to say. I mean, he said three times, Lord, I love thee, I love thee. But finally, he's not, Lord, thou knowest, you know. There's nothing I can do to prove to you. But then the Lord reveals to him that there are some things. And notice within this commission, we see... Love, number one, we see love expressed. He does not necessarily dispute or debate or even even recognize and denote what Peter says when he says that he loves him. He merely gives him a simple command. And this reveals to us that our love can be expressed, can be seen, can be revealed in how we obey the Lord. He had already told us this in John 15 when he said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And on three different occasions, he says, feed my lambs. He says, feed my sheep. He says, feed my sheep. He says, Peter, if you want to express to me that you love me, you can do that by obeying what I've asked of you. Now, I sort of believe that love and service is a lot like faith and works. It's not, it's not synonymous, but it is simultaneous. There's a difference between faith and works. Real faith will always have works. James teaches us that. The faith without works is dead. I believe love and service, love and obedience is the same way. We can say that we love Him, but if we don't obey Him, we're just fooling anybody we can fool, but we're not fooling God. Because remember what Peter said, Thou knowest. Thou knowest. 
know, this is really the heartbeat of it all. Do we love God? It doesn't matter what else we do. If we don't love God, none, nothing else we do matters. Listen to what Paul said in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now, some think if we met a Christian like that, if we met a Christian that that could speak with the tongues of, of men and of angels and had the gift of prophecy and could understand all mysteries and all knowledge and had all faith, his faith never wavered. He could remove mountains through his faith. And though uh, we met a man that bestowed all of his goods that he could feed the poor, and though we met a man that yielded his body to a martyr's death, we'd look at somebody like that and we'd say, now that is a Christian. But God looks at that man and He says, if he does all that, but if he doesn't have love, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. So what about our life? Could it be that God would look at our life and say, though they, and you can insert whatever it is that we may brag about, and say, though they do all that, if they have not love, it profiteth nothing. It's pointless. It means nothing. It is of no value. It, it, it's, it's dummy bills. It's monopoly money in my, in my economy. It means nothing to me. We can express love. We see love expressed. We see love extended. I think this is interesting. What did he say? He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. But here he says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. There is a reason that he uses the term lamb there in the diminutive. That's an interesting word. It's found uh, in, in the New Testament. And uh, 28 times it, it uh, refers to Christ in the book of Revelation. The word for sheep is a different word, and it refers exclusively to Christ. I'm sure there's a lot of things we could draw from that. But what I want you to understand is that if we're going to love God, the way that we express that love to Him, and the way that love, uh, J. Vernon McGee would have said, uh, you know, gets into shoe leather. <laughs> the way it matters, the way it, 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 it puts legs on it and walks and affects things, is through ministering to other people. He said, feed my sheep. He didn't say, feed your sheep, Peter. He said, feed my sheep. He didn't say, if you love sheep, feed my sheep. He said, if you love me, feed my sheep. You know, part of the problem is if we don't like what God wants us to do, we just don't do it. And we don't mind doing it if we like doing it. And we don't mind doing it if it is within our wheelhouse. We don't mind doing it if it is within our comfort zone. But that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say, if you love the things I ask of you, then do those things. He said, if you love me, feed my sheep. You don't have to love sheep. Just love me and that will be enough. That will keep you going. That will keep you serving. There have been a lot of folks, you know, and, and we've been blessed. I, I guess I've just not been at it long enough, but I'm sure we'll have our day. We had a little bit of it when I first came here. People say, well, things change, things change. You know, it's things ain't like they used to be. And I've always thought that was silly to say. You know, anything living is in a constant state of change. And church is no different. But I'm sure we'll come to a point at some point. There'll be somebody say, well, things ain't like they used to be. And, you know, there's always, there's always times like that. I remember one brother was, was sharing with me. And he used to go here, but he, he had gone to another church. And that church had... Had, uh, had lost a pastor and, and he had been part of that pulpit committee. And, uh, they had, I mean, they had just had a time. They had been through so many pastors, they just couldn't even see straight anymore. Everybody feuding and fighting, the church dwindling down to nothing. 
and uh, they were going to do some little fellowship one one night, and they changed the time they were going to do it. And this fellow, and he wasn't the pastor; he was just on, on a committee, pulpit committee. God bless and help you people that serve on pulpit committees because it's a tough job. And and, and they changed the time. This little old woman came up and she said, "We ain't ever done it like that before," you know. And he turned, looked, he said, "Yeah, how's that working out for you?" Amen. <laughs> you know, sometimes we need that, I guess. Sometimes the person that needs to fly off like that needs that, I guess. I don't know. But, you know, there's always people say, well, you know, things change. And sometimes, I guess they do. You might get to a place where you don't really care much for being at this church, being in here. But God doesn't ask you if you love the church to go to church. He says, if you love me. It's hard, man, passing out tracts. Sometimes it's discouraging. Because you, you give out tracts, you give out tracts. You have people lie to you all the time. Oh, yeah, I'll be there, I'll be there, I'll be there. And it's discouraging, man. But he didn't say if you love, give out tracts. Give out tracts. If you love me, feed my sheep. You see, if we can just love Him, and we see this. We see love expressed, love extended, but we see love equipping. Peter had messed up in so many ways. And he was going to keep messing up. <laughs> Peter's messing up days were not past him. In fact, Peter was going to come to a time, one of the next narratives we have about Peter's life in which he makes a big mistake. In Galatians, he gets dissembled, gets carried away in hypocrisy against the Gentiles of the church of Galatia. I mean, he messed up. But you see, none of that really mattered. If he loved Christ, Christ could use him. Christ could use him. He didn't have to be the most eloquent. He didn't have to be the most theological. Let me tell you, the Apostle Paul was head and shoulders in theology above Peter. And Peter admitted it. He said, hey, our, you know, our dear brother Paul, he writes things that are, that are hard to be understood in which they that are, that are unlearned rest and, and struggle with. Peter admitted it, but it wasn't Paul on the day of Pentecost that God used to preach it wasn't Paul that God used to be the under-shepherd of the church at Jerusalem. It wasn't Paul that God used to write the books of First and Second Peter. It was Peter. That just gives me encouragement to know this. You know, I, I can mess up and still love him. But I need to be honest about whether I love him or not. I don't have to try to be perfect to love him. And even though I love him, I'm never going to be perfect on this side of the grave. But I need to be honest about whether I really love Him. I don't need to say I do if I don't. But I understand this too, though. I may be missing a lot of things in my life. And I am. I am. I, you know, part, part of, of preaching and pastoring, you've got to have a little bit of personality. I mean, if, you, you know, if nobody likes you, they probably won't come to your church. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's a certain air, I guess, of confidence that you need to exude or, or whatever. But can I, can I just... Can I just be honest with you and be, be human with you. I make so many mistakes. I, as a, I, I, and not just as a Christian, but as a pastor. It would shock you to note the things. If you ever paid attention to places that I mess up, times that I get in the flesh, times that I do something wrong, times that I misjudge a situation. But it's good to know that if I just love Him, God will use me. God will use me. could have asked Him a lot of things, but He asked Him, He said... Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Lovest thou me? I wonder what we'd say tonight. I wonder what God would say tonight. And I wonder if we'll be honest this evening. I don't know what God wants to do with that, but if He's done something in your heart and life, 
then I believe you ought to respond to him. I believe you ought to come to him. You ought, you ought to kneel before him. I believe you ought to talk to him about whatever he dealt with you about. I believe if you'll do that, you'll be the better. You see, you, you can't wait for all this stuff to settle itself. Sometimes when you see the fire and when you see the fish, you just need to come sit down and get in fellowship with Him. And He'll work out whatever's going on in your life if you'll just come to Him.